Hey, it's Kathy. If you haven't left a rating or review for Self-Evident, please take a moment to do that now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Rating the show and sharing these stories with your friends and family really truly helps. Also, just so you know, today's show has some four-letter words in it, and they're not beeped. Hey, James. What up, Kathy? Are you excited about the story that you produced for today's episode? Yeah. You know, Gabe, this dude who wrote into us from Pennsylvania, got in touch with us like a year ago. And we've been working on this piece ever since. And because we successfully pulled off a live version of this story during APA Heritage Month for CAMFest, I'm pretty sure this story is not whack. Yes, I know. And that's something I wanted to follow up on because when we were out in Oakland for CAMFest with Gabe, you also spoke on this panel for APA Month. Right. I was asked to speak on behalf of Self-Evident, and I think the idea was to bring a bunch of successful Asian Americans. I have no idea why I was invited to this film, <laughs> but, you know, we show up and everyone's kind of there to hear our success story in a way and asking questions so they can, you know, move their own career along. And it's like a motivational thing. Mm. So what did people ask? Well, at first, the moderator was asking us, you know, pretty typical questions like, how did you get to where you were? And how does being Asian affect uh, your work, your career? Mm -hmm. And then a woman attending raised her hand and said, and I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember mm -hmm. the exact words. What do we do with all of the guilt and pressure that we feel whenever we think about our parents. Whoa, that's intense. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, lady, you want to talk to me about your parents? Yeah. <laughs> but it was really cool. I appreciated that she broke up in this conversation, you know, took it to this other place. And it reminded me that this is the same thing we see when people write into the show. Yeah. When we asked people what they wanted us to cover, listeners wrote in with these really personal stories and sometimes really painful stuff that they're going through, especially with their families. I think for a lot of folks, there's a lot of internal struggle and work that we have to do and take on within ourselves before, you know, taking on the world. So coming back to the story that you worked on, today we're going to hand the mic to Gabriel Mara, who wrote to us at a time in his life when he was taking on some kind of dramatic steps to get in touch with his family and reconnect with his heritage. This is self-evident, where we challenge the narratives about where we're from, where we belong, and where we're going by telling Asian America's stories. This season is presented by the Center for Asian American Media, and I'm your host, Kathy Arway. Here's Gabe with this story. When I was 28, I moved back into my parents' house in Allentown, Pennsylvania, to give my dad a kidney. Our family moved to Allentown from Brooklyn in 1995 because my parents wanted to buy a house. Allentown wasn't really a factory town anymore, but the suburbs were still growing and had good schools, so they found a fixer-upper. They saw an opportunity for their kids, but I was eight years old, and all I saw was a suburban sea of whiteness. Allentown was being told eating fish is disgusting. Allentown was people's weird assumption that I must know karate. Allentown was my so-called friends calling me Rufio. 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 You know, after the Filipino kid from the movie Hook. So I never felt white enough for the kids at school. 
But at the same time, I never felt Filipino enough for my parents. In Tagalog, the word for father is tatay, and tay basically means dad. When I was a kid, if I said anything to tay in English, he would stop me and tell me exactly how to say it in Tagalog, then make me repeat it. I was really not good at this. I fumbled through my awkward as hell Taglish for years. He stopped trying to force it, and I decided it was just better not to speak to him at all. My mom was kind, but she always seemed distant. So by the time I was 13, I would sit at the dinner table every night, pass the rice, and eat without saying a word. That's basically how I grew up. And it's the family I came home to when I moved back in with my parents. When Ma asked me to donate one of my kidneys to Tai, I was happy to do it. I mean, I could never ask Tai for dating advice as one of four Asian guys at school, or turn to Ma when my crippling anxiety would make me lie on the roof with my Sony Discman, alone, for hours at a time. But I know my parents would take a bullet for me, and I'd give up a spare vital organ for them. About a month after I settled into my childhood bedroom, Dai drove us to the hospital before the sun came up for the surgery. The quiet from our family dinners followed us into the waiting room. A few hours later, we went under the knife. I woke up in the dark, drugged up and confused. A nurse nearby told me to take it easy, so I laid back down and passed out. And the next time I came to, I was in my own hospital room. I thought this was the moment we'd hug it all out. Like all the white families I grew up watching on TV. Instead, we recovered slowly. In separate rooms. I was discharged a few days before die and went home without him. I remember feeling relieved to watch TV alone in the attic with no one else in the house to remind me I didn't fit in with my own family. Life went on. First with bandages and painkillers, then without. Jeopardy at 7. More quiet dinners. All of a sudden, I was 30. A grown man living of two strangers I called Ma and Thai, working as a bartender in the white bread town I'd spent so much of my life wanting to escape. I figured that was it. Then one day, on his way out the door, Thai asked me to come work with him at the Fiesta in America, a 90 minute drive and a world away from Allentown. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the official opening of this year's Fiesta in America. I'm Vinny Medina of Virginia Beach, Virginia. A hearty mabuhay to on this historic 20th anniversary of the Fiesta. For Filipino-American families in the Mid-Atlantic, the Fiesta is a celebration of home. Every summer, over 5,000 people make a pilgrimage to the Meadowlands Expo Center in Secaucus, New Jersey for 61,000 square feet of homemade crafts, rare exports from the islands, a variety show featuring performers from the Philippines and the States, and a food court with every Filipino dish you could ever ask for. The Fiesta in America is also something my tatay has worked for since it started 20 years ago. He helped build this culture show into the biggest Asian-American expo on the East Coast. When I was a 12-year-old kid, and ironically listening to Limp Biscuit and Corn, the fiesta was the last place I ever wanted to be. But when Thai pulled me off the couch and told me the fiesta needed a social media manager, it hit me. 
This was the perfect way for me to redeem myself as a son. I didn't know anything about the Philippines, or Filipino Americans, or social media, or jobs involving computers, or my dad. What I did know was that grand gestures always worked for John Cusack. If I could transform myself into the Instagram hype man for Filipino culture, then surely I could bridge this gulf between my parents and me. So I took the job. And the first person I told was my girlfriend, Fran. But I had a question for you. Oh, sure. So did you go to this as a kid? I did. Uh, only twice, ever. Once as a really bored little kid, and once I worked it selling t-shirts. I was 12, my bowl haircut. Aww. And my ill-fitting non-V-neck t-shirt. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, you've corrected that. Yeah. All no. V-necks. All V-necks all, all the time. time. Fran and I met because she lives next door to one of my coworkers at the bar. Even though she's not Filipina, she's been really great at helping me unpack my anxieties about never fitting in. And I still remember, like, shamefully, and looking back now, being like, boy, this is real tacky. My mm. people are tacky. We're tacky people. I mean, I, I, I think I'm, I was being ridiculous now, even if part of me still feels that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't imagine I'm going to go this year and be like, wow, my culture. <laughs> I should, though, right? I don't know. This is, this is why I'm doing this whole thing. I mean, you realize all you have actually experienced in your life of being Filipino is within the context of your family mm-hmm. and this fiesta, right? That's true. That's 100% true. Do you have any Filipino friends? No. One dude I met, cool, chill millennial dude, and he and I could have, were able to like share a little bit of that experience talk of, yeah, so we're Filipino, huh? And he's like, yeah. Lumpia, am I right? And I'm like, totally. If you've never heard of Lumpia, I'll wait a minute while you look it up. I mean, I might feel disconnected from my culture, but I'm not a barbarian. What you're putting your finger on here Mm -hmm. is a really important thing to keep in mind. Because when you say, you kind of talk about Filipino culture, you're talking about it in some pretty broad strokes from a pretty far distance. Yeah, my parents did the best they could. This is not what they wanted for me. I think they would have been very happy if I had grown up being like, let's only do Filipino things. You know, that's just not how the way it worked out. I'm not that person. Did your brother go more than you? No. Mm. I, maybe? I, I don't know. I don't talk to that guy. Oh, yeah. I have a brother, Caesar. But we all call him Sace or Kuya, which is Tagalog for older brother. I was born in the States. I was anxious and depressed as a kid. I dropped out of community college and ran away to New York to become a starving screenwriter the first chance I got. Sace was born in the Philippines. He always seemed to do fine in Allentown. And after he graduated from Penn State, he lived off Ma and Thai for years. He visited the Philippines, married a wonderful Filipino woman named Lisa, and they live in an apartment just six miles from our high school. So I could never relate to Sace growing up but I drove across town to see him and Lisa after failing my first test of becoming a better Filipino. I was doing the Instagram for the Fiesta America, promoting one of our superstar pop singers, Janela Salvador. And somehow, 
I screwed up so colossally that my dad's boss changed the Instagram password and told me to take the rest of the week off. Who are the, uh, who are the actors again? Janela uh -huh. Salvador and Almo Magalona. Lisa, have you heard of these people? <laughs> yeah. I posted a video of um, Janela's hit single. Um, I think it was a Mahal Kita Pero. And, you know, it's her and this handsome guy, and they're like dancing around. And I'm like, whatever, it's her biggest hit, I think. So I put it on Instagram. I get a huge slew of messages where it's all people being like, how could you do this to Elmo? I hate, what's the, the guy, other guy's name? Marlo. It's like, I hate Marlo. Marlo's the worst. Elmo forever. And the management was even like, please take this down. And apparently it's because I put up the wrong love team. And I was like, what the fuck is a love team? This is ridiculous. <laughs> it was all a bunch of like, like middle-aged women yelling at me on, on Instagram because it was the wrong one. Oh. So what, what is a love team? What, what is, what, why was I in trouble? Did I do something really wrong? That's Lisa sitting across the living room explaining that a Filipino love team is like a 50s era Hollywood studio couple paired up in movies and promoted as if they're dating in real life. Now, combine that idea with, like, Disney Channel pop stars. That's a love team. So Elmo Magalona and Janela Salvador, two of the Philippines' biggest stars, were coming to perform at the fiesta under the combined name El Nella. El Nella. Uh, yeah. Why isn't it Janelmo? Doesn't that make more sense? <laughs> it's, that's, a, that's a really clumsy portmanteau. El Nella, Janelmo. It's there. It's oh. in the name. But that was the least of my worries, because I'd posted a video of Janella with her old love team partner, Marlo Mortel. So apparently, step one of learning my culture was accidentally trolling teenagers and titas around the world. Step two was asking Sace something I always wanted to know. Um, so do you have, do you, you feel pride as a Filipino? Absolutely. Filipinos as a whole will stick up for other cultures because like we I, I we have an underdog kind of feel did you know that in uh, during world war ii that while no other countries would we were the first culture first country i should say to allow jewish refugees in during world war ii oh that's nice so yeah we're hospitable mm. to the point that i'm almost bragging that americans don't do this that when um when we have people over uh, especially if it's just like a, a friend or two coming in we always cook meals for them and like whereas like um when we go to uh, just simply hang out at somebody else's house. They don't do that. Yeah. Americans. I don't know why. And like, I think it's stupid, quite frankly. No, it's something that we. I'm definitely proud of. Mm. And it's like it's almost like an ecocentrism, you could say, that I have sure. about that. An ethnocentrism. Uh, ethnocentrism. Sorry. If you had to make a guess as to why you think I felt embarrassed or why I think we're tacky, mm -hmm. what would you guess? It was forced upon you. I montai. The shame? No, no, more like... The embarrassment? No, more like the, uh, the pride itself. You gotta be proud of your roots, blah, blah, blah. Especially, uh... Oh, that's a, that's a fair point. I think I think that the, like, um, that die forcing us to speak the Gaelic thing definitely put a wall up, like, mm -hmm. real, real early on. Yeah. It said, like, in clear language, don't talk to me, yeah. and you can't talk to me. Exactly. And I'm like, great. The thing I seek more than anything else is to be listened to right mm -hmm. and offering that is a really big deal because i feel like we we did not have that in the family unit at all growing up mm -hmm. that was that was not a thing 
Yeah. If I wanted any kind of emotional reassurance or support, it wasn't in the house. Why, why do you think that was? I, Because, I, well, they weren't interested in doing that. I think that, like, mom, maybe a little bit more so, but I was very adamantly like, yeah, I'm not supposed to be your friend. And, it, and as I got older, <laughs> it became a bigger and bigger wall. You think so? Well, for me, anyway. I, I forgot. It's like, yeah, whatever. So my hair is much grayer than yours. Holy shit, you're right. I thought I was, I thought I was dying. No, this is real. This is my hair. I am, I am very, very gray. It's mm. all, I think, the stress and overthinking. There we go. Like, I, I try not to stress myself out. Oh. I, that's my recommendation to you. Just don't do that. Well, okay, if it's well. that easy. Mike Guya, the therapist. But honestly, I was surprised by the Sace who was talking to me. He grew up with the same parents, in the same house, going to the same very white high school. But this guy, he was happy. Happy to see me, happy to being a Filipino-American in Allentown, driving around college kids for Uber on the weekends. Talking to Sace left me wondering, why was it so much harder for me to connect with our heritage? So I drove a couple hours out of town to see my cousin Hannah. My name, my full name, sure. is Hannah Juanita Marasigan McDowell, right. mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> taking the full Filipino uh, lineage. We were sitting in Hannah's Brooklyn apartment, sharing a bottle of wine and chicken adobo made from my Tita Jenny's recipe. I never cook Filipino food, by the way. There's yeah. just complete certain It turned out pretty good. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I tried to call my mom just so I could get the recipe. Mm-hmm. I usually actually call Yeah, her. I was like, you call your mom? Just to yeah. clarify, it was sure, just to sure, get sure, the sure, recipe. Sure. Hannah's from New Jersey, where the fiesta in America happens. She grew up in the Filipino community. I didn't. She's seen the Philippines. I haven't. So, if there was anyone in the whole Marantzala Marasigan bloodline who could tell me how I fit in, it was Hannah. It's that, in my mind, you've always been the more Filipino cousin. Because I don't, you know, you've been there and I haven't been there. Um, you speak more of it. No, I don't. You sure? You grew up speaking Tagalog more than I. Oh, ever but did. I deliberately stamped it out as an act of rebellion. Jesus. And so for me, like the, the like what I found curious is that when in my family, if there is a spectrum, I was the whitest of the white bread. You look Latino, man. So yeah, I, mean... I look very Latino. It's, you know, like <laughs> like I drove over here listening to like yacht rock. And I'm like Michael McDonald's boy. What a voice. <laughs> okay, so it turned out Hannah wasn't the world's expert on being Filipino. And she fought her own battles as a teenager, even though she grew up surrounded by other Filipino Americans. Before, but like when I entered high school, when I had all my white friends from middle school, yeah. I found the Filipino clique. They saw me and they're just like, oh, there's that whitewashed girl. Oh, really? Said. Oh, yeah. I was I was like given shit because I had so many white friends. They're like, oh, you're the whitewashed bitch. Oh, that's I didn't. That's wild. Yeah. So I the, the was, Filipinos were real Filipinos and you weren't. They gave me shit, and I felt so guilty that like they were like, oh, you're not in touch with your culture. I'm still waiting for people to judge me, because mm. I don't really have any, I don't even remotely have any Filipino pride. I'm yeah. like, we made the yo-yo. Did yeah, they? Yeah, I know, yeah, we invented the yo-yo. I had no idea. Rufio. Yeah, no, dude, the number of times I've been called oh. fucking Rufio in my life. Oh, God. I Is attempted... that just like a racial slur at this point? Well, no, I steered into it. I was him for Halloween two years in a row. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I, I, I had to steer into it. And I'm just like, you know, I would love to be proud to be Filipino. And I just haven't found it yet. 
it's not about having more pride or suddenly finding this like sudden deep well of pride for being Filipino, but I think it's about giving less fucks. <laughs> like you give less fucks about what other people think of your upbringing and like what happened and just be like, yep, this is me. This is what it is. I mean, like the most pride I have in being Filipino is how much I love spam. <laughs> God, I love spam. <laughs> spam is awesome. There's so much other Filipino foods too. That are but unique spam, it's wonderful. That could be Hawaiian. Hannah thought about this stuff just as much as I did. Wrestled with her identity just as much as I did. She just didn't beat herself up about it. As the days of the fiesta started really counting down, I felt my anxiety about not being Filipino enough, slowly but surely, being replaced by my anxiety about having anxiety about not being Filipino enough. We're at the Meadowlands Exposition Center. Oh no, it's, it's a bunch of Filipinos. <laughs> and I grew up in a town of really, really white people. They were all so white. So I tried to stay focused on the job. After my epic love team fail, my dad's boss cautiously reinstated me as the Fiesta's photographer and Instagram hype man. My friend Ibrahim was taking video with me for the Fiesta. So I turned to him for support. Eve, what's it like being around a bunch of Filipinos? Awesome. This is dope. I love being immersed in a culture that I'm not very familiar with. I think this is a big deal because it's my community big deal. But you told me your friend is super all about it. Yeah, my buddy Blake, who lives in Jersey, and he was like, oh my God, you're going to the Fiesta? And I'm like, yeah. And I had no idea that it was a thing. I was expecting like a much smaller, you know, like community center kind of thing. Like a, a but small auditorium. We're at the, yeah, we're at the Meadowlands, like that's big, you know, and there's all these bands playing. Jerry Lewis's son is here. Gary Lewis and the News is here. The Playboys. <laughs> the Playboys, that's Huey Lewis and the News. By the way, Gary Lewis and the Playboys were excellent. So were the other musical performers, like legendary Filipino entertainer Ogi Alcacid. And even the love team I was almost fired over, Janelmo. And yeah, I can't wait to eat the food and <laughs> eat the food. So much food. We had pancit, fried rice of eggs, longanisa, tapa. Kids were playing with bright balloons and crying over melted halo halo. People were haggling over homemade bowls and jewelry and seasoning packets and imported coffee and shirts and beer and chessboards and insurance policies. Yeah, insurance. You can have it all to Fiesta in America, people. And then I saw my parents. They'd been working to Fiesta for 20 years, but this was the first time I really saw them in action. Smiling, laughing, and surrounded by thousands of people who came here to be a part of what we were doing. Okay. Um, hi, hi, so this is my dad. Hi, very good to meet you. What is your position here? I'm, I'm vice president for marketing and communications. Although I, I, I can barely communicate now. <laughs> How's it going so far? Uh, it's crazy, but crazy good. If, it, if, it's, if, it's not, if it's not wild, then it's a failure. That makes it's, sense. So my mom is currently registering people and handing out wristbands. Oh, I'm, I'm doing so many things, you know. <laughs> I thought, okay. This is it. We're going to hug it out. But just like after the kidney operation, we went home separately. 
We all went back to our routines. Jeopardy at 7. More quiet dinners. I like my parents. I think they're good people. They're great people. They're smart and kind and decent. And whenever I have company around them, I see they're charming and funny and decent people. And then we eat and it's silence. And I wonder why. Yeah. I want my mom's lumpia recipe. I like Can to read that play my dad wrote. I just don't know how to talk to him. And I've never known how to talk to him. It's the alienation that you feel from Filipino culture, from your Filipino heritage. Mm -hmm. And the alienation that you feel from your own parents yeah. and family. What do you think the relationship between those two is? I almost feel like they're the same thing. And I think it's my fault. I don't know. I want to find out if they're the same thing. I think that's what that's what I want to talk to my parents about. That's what I that's like the big question. Hey, it's Kathy. We're working on our season finale, which is all about how we learn where we come from. What I mean by that is the ways that language classes, Saturday schools, religious community groups, summer camps, music lessons, and other alternative classrooms changed our lives, for better or for worse. So if you have an outside of school learning experience or teaching experience that defined who you are, then record a voice memo on your phone and email it to community at selfevidentshow.com. Please keep it to three minutes or less. It doesn't have to be perfect. We also have step-by-step -step instructions to make it easy for you at selfevidentshow.com slash participate. It was two weeks after the fiesta in America. Diving headfirst into Filipino culture didn't bring me any closer to home, so my girlfriend Fran gave me another push. You want your dad's perspective on your relationship. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. If you start with a, so, dad, why do you think we aren't close? <laughs> okay. That's just going to set up a very awkward conversation. And also, you don't know that your dad thinks that you're not close. Yeah, that was like that weird thing with my brother. My brother was like, what? We have a great relationship. Exactly. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, exactly. we don't. You think you're not close. I'm terrified of asking my parents these questions. I know. I, I, I know you would probably rather pull the plug on I'd this. rather run. You've been running. I've been running. My whole life I've been running. I was genuinely prepared for my parents to die and me be like, well, never got a chance. Mm -hmm. Couldn't do it. What do you think you lose if that happens? This comfortable status quo I have. I, I've, I've been very comfortable feeling that my parents are unfeeling. I don't particularly want to be closer to my parents because it's fine. It's been fine. And being closer to them now, I don't know what that would mean. I don't know what that would look like. What if that means more responsibility? Gabe, you're I'm not... pretty sure I gave a kidney so I wouldn't have to bother with it anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I was like, here you go. We're good now, right? 
donating a kidney, working for the fiesta, recording hours of conversations about being Filipino-American. They were just ways to avoid the thing I kept telling myself I wanted, a closer relationship with my family. I thought about all those childhood experiences I was holding on to, the ones my brother and my cousin let go of a long time ago. The idea of a foreign family that I couldn't seem to grow out of. All the work I'd have to do if I really opened up to my parents. And I finally felt ready for their side of the story. So, did you give up anything when you became a mother? Oh, yes. I stopped seeing my friends. That's my ma, Susan. That's a bummer. Yeah. You know, because... At the time, most of my friends were still single, and I, I also stopped working when I had your brother. Is, is that what you wanted? Were you okay with that? No, of course not. <laughs> but it's okay. I, I have no regret. I'd always felt like I was the one trapped in Allentown. But sitting with Ma, I remembered something she'd mentioned casually to me, an interaction that I'd buried completely. She saw me once, as a teenager, lying on the roof with my discman, and she recognized something happening there, something that she saw in her own father. Um, you, you told me that before that your dad, um, we'll say sorry, he had struggles with his mental health, like like depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So um, did, you, did you realize that that was in me as well? Like this, this anxious, depressive hey, kind yeah. of streak to it? Yeah. Um, how, how early did you recognize it in me? I always uh, recognize it because I have, I have the same, you know, problem. I don't call it a problem. No? It's just what I am, you know. I don't make other people miserable, you know, when I'm in a bad mood. I always yeah. keep it to myself. Because we, we have learned to internalize it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you ever notice it when we were living here in, the, in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I, I had those bouts of... I think when you were in school, I will go up in the attic and stay there, close all the windows and lie down on the bed. And then I was, I was so sad. I had no I, idea. I had, I had those episodes. I had no idea. We, we are not the happy type like your kuya no, or, your, exactly. or your tata. Your, like, like I, I, I didn't know you, you suffered like that. I did. That's that's exactly how I am as well. Mm -hmm. So, it's nice to know it's it's not out of nowhere. It's you know that I'm not alone in it. I don't think I was ever really alone. Growing up in Allentown, I thought I couldn't talk to my parents because they were Filipino, and I was a disappointment. But that whole time, Ma felt just as anxious as I did. It wasn't because of our failures, or the dreams that never came true, and it wasn't because of our culture. Um, what, does an, what does an ideal mother-child relationship look to you? When you can tell me your problems, you know, problems that you know that I will be hurt, mm -hmm. or I will be angry, but still, you'll tell me. You know, don't, don't shut me out. That's one of the things I want to my relationship with my children. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what, I will understand them. Are there any questions you've wanted to candidly ask me before that you want to ask me now? I, I know you, you know. I don't need to ask. Okay, okay, let's sing hot. 
was 31. Three years after going into the hospital of Thai, I was getting ready to move to LA, where I'd finally landed a job involving computers. I started packing up my things, planning the long drive across the country, and thinking about life after Allentown. I was out of grand gestures. I was out of fucks to give. I was out of time. So I took a swig of bourbon, went downstairs, and sat down with Thai at the dinner table. Um, when you got sick, did you um, expect me to move home, or did you anticipate? Did you anticipate me donating, or was that just was that something you were actively against? Well, I was really against it uh, because I felt that it might harm your your health. But uh, your mom was insisting that I ask uh, you or your kuya to to volunteer, and it was really it was really very hard for me. But when I asked the nephrologist if it it will if if it will impact your health at all, he said not at all, not at all. Um, uh, would you say that you and I are close? Not really. And well, especially well, when you were growing up and you were you're in your teenage years. But I'm really extremely glad that when you returned that we can we can talk more but you know i think it's just a matter of you maturing and being able to talk to me like an adult i guess it was the same as with me and my father although your your lolo your lolo nick was really non-communicative but I'm really glad that you came back and we can reestablish our relationship. I wasn't expecting Thai to tell me we were close. But I'd never thought about how he related to his father or how we thought of our family. Closeness is really hard to define. Uh, is it physical space? Is it, is it emotional space? I don't know. It's just a matter of doing things together. I can remember when uh, after visiting your grandparents, your Lolo and your Lola, it was, we all, always came back at night. And after parking the car several blocks away from the apartment, I used to carry you and uh, your kuya at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were both small, so I could, and I was pretty strong at that time. I could carry you both in uh, on my arms, in my arms, and we trudged back to the apartment in the cold of, of night and uh, we did that several times till you were too big for me to carry uh-huh. uh does it bother you that Sace and I are so americanized not really uh were you expecting it or was it the you, intention of moving well we never really thought about what you've you've become in terms of a filipino american it's it never really came up, but we're just always expecting that you will at least understand Tagalog and you'll remember your your heritage. Uh, no, that never really bothered us. Where was the Tatai who forced me to speak Tagalog? Where was the man who terrified me of his silence? 
That version of Thai always felt so far away. But this Thai was sitting with me, making up for all the conversations we'd never had. Are you... Are you... Uh, upset? Are you... Is it okay with you? Are you... Are you happy being Filipino-American? Um... Uh... I guess. It was an odd thing not having a... Being the only Filipino in white Pennsylvania, it, you know, I, I would never, like, suggest or blame you guys for that. This is a good home, and it was a great decision. But it made me, it, it made me vulnerable. Like, it, it gave me a small complex, I think, growing up here. I guess it's your loss. Uh, I guess everyone has a complex of their own. One of my complexes is I'm short. You're but, the, also the tallest one in our family, which is always well, funny. But that's it. Um, any other questions for me? When are you getting married? Oh. Um, I just had a, another difficult talk mm. on the phone. That's why, why I was late for dinner. Why? Uh, well, it's, you know, just about our future. And she doesn't want to have children mm. and that's something I, de- I do want to do but it's 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 never been this hard before because it's it's never I've never had like been in this good a relationship what? never had love this good before it's never easy uh, just like falling in love is is difficult because you have to sacrifice many things most of all, you have to sacrifice your selfishness, your self-regard for somebody else. Um, why did you want to start a family? Like, what was... Th- did you always want to start a family? Was that always in your plan? Actually, marriage was not my, part of my plans. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it happened. And so it, it, it just came natural that uh, we had to start a family. Actually, I was I was planning to be... What do I call it? Uh, a hermit, a hobo, mm-hmm. a, a poet who who writes poetry in the mountains, living alone among the trees. You wanted to be a hermit in the mountains? Yes, writing poetry, writing lyrics to love songs. This was uncharted territory. I never thought I'd be getting relationship advice from a failed hobo poet who was also my dad. But then again, I never asked was the fact that I gave up my dream of being a hermit poet worth it because I wanted to marry your mom. I don't know. Things turned out very well. I guess it's just a matter of, I don't know, call it luck. Call it the luck of the the dice, the, the roll of the dice. I thought you were going to say the luck of the Filipinos, like the luck ah, of the Irish. No. <laughs> When I decided to ask your mom to marry me, I never sought the advice of anyone. I never sought the advice of my parents. I never asked my friends. It was just between me and myself, me and your mom. It's the crossroads. Uh, You can only cross that road yourself and no one will carry you. I'd spent years feeling like I wasn't Filipino enough for my mom to die. 
But these conversations, they reminded me that they chose to raise my brother and me in the United States. And they never lost sleep over whether we liked the fiesta in America. For the first time, I could see my own dream of being a screenwriter and Thai's dream of being a mountain poet. I could feel my own depression lying on our roof and Ma's story about lying in the attic. My parents never mentioned not knowing where they fit in. They fit in with us. And because of that, they fit into Allentown. Okay, it is move day. Uh, December 30th. I almost lost my car keys. That would have been embarrassing. Found them. They were in the Campari bag. Okay, so be careful. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, good. Bye, Mom. You got that? Good. Be careful. Always. Bye. Bye. I'll call you every day on the road. Bye. Here we go. See you later, Allentown. It's been three months since I left Allentown. I'm in North Hollywood with my roommate in the parking lot of Seafood City. It's a Filipino supermarket, and I'm here of a shopping list from my parents. I'm getting lumpia wrappers here, so basically I'm getting egg roll wrappers here. I, I Facebook messaged my mom, like, uh, what do I need? And she just said, I need uh, onion carrots, you can get that. Look at how many flavors of spam there are, Daniel. Spam with cheese, is teriyaki spam, there's tocino spam an unconscionable amount of spam. I have $59 and I have a debt disappointment tomorrow. Let's hope the insurance covers it. When I get home, I get ready for my weekly call with Ma and Dai. Usually we're just catching up, but today I've got the computer on the kitchen counter. Do you want me to give you the instructions? Yeah, can you say it again? I, guess I was recording it. My Ma's looking through the screen to tell me how I'm doing for a recipe. So, we're Filipino. Okay. Lumpiat, am I right? Okay. Good. I'm glad. I, I I didn't realize it was it was as simple as that. I think I'm I'm just gonna start making like this like every week. Make a lot. Just yeah. make a lot and then put it in the freezer. Yeah, I mean you, you know like I've I've been making like brownies for my neighbors. This is way better than brownies. Oh, they they go crazy with uh, for the lumpia. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm excited for that. LA has more Filipino culture and history than I've ever seen in my life. It's pretty cool. But the thing that makes me feel at home is this call to my parents in Allentown. Yeah, so yeah, basically all the all the home recipes, like send them to me. I'd love to try them. Yeah, I maybe mean, it's it's nice if you can invite friends over and you know serve them Filipino food. Yeah, definitely. All right, um, um, so I'm gonna go eat now. Um, okay. Okay, so yeah, thanks for the recipe, Ma. All right. And thanks Enjoy. for the tips, Ty. Yeah. Okay. 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 Love you, Ma. Love you, Ty. Okay. Alright, bye. bye. Next time on Self Evident, what happens when you let go of something that's always defined who you are? 
So she sort of like refused to open the letter or like take it. It was sort of like a defiant act of denial. And so I was like, okay, whatever. So I just emailed it to my dad. This episode was produced by James Boo and Gabriel Mara with production support from Kat Lee, Davey Kim, and me, Kathy Irway. We were edited by Julia Shu and Cheryl Duvall and mixed by Timothy Luli. Our theme music is by Doreen Love. We'd like to give a very special thank you to Cheney Milholland and the 1,004 crowdfund backers whose support made this episode possible. And shout out to Gabe's family and friends for working with us on today's story. So what food or dish reminds you of home? Taco Doritos. I'm asking the (laughs) listeners here. (laughs) And I'm still available for discussion panels. All right. Well, let us know by writing or sharing a photo or even a recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Self Evident Show with the hashtag WeAreSelfEvident. I'm definitely going to share. Nice. You can also email us at community at selfevidentshow.com. And the whole team's been really, really digging the feedback and personal experiences that y'all been writing in with to share. So please, please keep it coming. Thanks also to our amazing advisors and all the members of our community panel who gave us feedback on this episode before it aired. If you want to be a part of our storytelling process or if you want sneak peeks and behind-the-scenes content, sign up for our newsletter at selfevidentshow.com. Self-Evident is a studio-to-be production, and this season is presented by the Center for Asian American Media with support from the Ford Foundation and you, our listeners. Our show is incubated at the Made in New York Media Center by IFP. We're managed by James Fu and Talisa Chang. Our senior producer is Julia Shu. Our executive producer is Ken Akeda. Our audience team is Blair Masura, Joy Sampunashat, Justine Lee, and Kira Wisniewski. I'm Kathy Airway. Let's talk soon. Until then, keep on sharing Asian America's stories.